Introducing the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. With 25 million copies in print, learn how the Don't Sweat Wisdom can help you achieve greater mental health and better communication with your family, friends, and coworkers from a beloved teacher. Rediscover your passion, joy, and self-compassion to awaken your most vibrant life. Hi, and welcome back to the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff podcast. I am so excited to share with you a wonderful new book that just came in the mailbox to me yesterday. I was so, so thrilled to get this book by Christy Ling. I'll be bringing her in on this podcast in just a little bit, but first let's take our golden pause. So wherever you are, as long as you're not driving, but even if you're driving, you can do this exercise. Just pay attention to the road, but wherever you are, just uncross your legs, sit with your hands open in your lap and just sit upright, you know, with your head sitting up on top of your shoulders, but you can lean back against something so that you feel relaxed and just begin to breathe. As you breathe in, breathe in through your nose and allow your belly to expand and your chest to expand. As you exhale, let go of any tension you feel in your body. Let go of any tension you feel in your neck, your shoulders, the tops of your arms, your elbows, your hands, your butt, your legs, your knees, your feet, your toes. Just let it all go and just relax. Breathe in again and breathe in love. Breathe in love to every cell of your being. Just feel so warm and cozy in love as you breathe in. And then exhale any fear you have. Exhale any tension and fear that you feel. As you breathe in again, breathe in sunlight. And exhale, tension. And this time as you breathe in, place your hand on your heart. Activating your heart, opening your heart. And just think of one thing that you feel incredibly grateful for. Could be a conversation, a person. Something that recently happened. Just anything that you feel incredibly grateful for. Breathing in sunlight again. Ah, exhale and open your eyes. Don't you feel so much more present after you do that? Oh my gosh, I certainly do. Well, I'm going to launch right in to sharing with you who Christy Ling is. She is a happiness strategist, a transformational life and business coach, and an inspirational speaker who works with individuals and organizations on building a firm foundation for lasting happiness and success. She has been featured in numerous media outlets, such as Success Magazine, Entrepreneur, Mashable, and CNN. She is a contributing blogger for the Huffington Post and Aspire Magazine and hosts a popular straight-talking podcast. Yay! Happy, free, and wild with Christy Ling. And she lives in Los Angeles, California. And you can find more about her on 
christyling.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-L-I-N-G.com. So she must be my Scandinavian sister. <laughs> Christy, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, I am Norwegian. <laughs> yes. So, wow. Well, I, I was so excited to hear about your new book, Operation Happiness. And, you know, what a great, great book to put out there. And I have to say, I've been just reading through it and just enjoying it so much. It's very, very well written. You're a wonderful writer. Oh, thank you so much. That's great to hear. Yeah. You're one of the first people to get to read the book because it doesn't come out for a few more days. And so that's really cool that they sent you one in advance. I love I that. Know. That's, one of, that's one of the benefits to having one of the quotes on the back cover. I'm so honored and, and thrilled that my quote got picked for the back cover. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm honored and thrilled as well. And that was really cool that they picked it for that. I was very excited. So I really appreciate your your quote and, and just your support. It's great to be here with you too, having this great conversation. Well, let's let's begin by just sharing a little bit of something personal for our listeners about how you came about to write this book, Operation Happiness. And how did you dive into the whole world of being an expert on happiness? You know, I think... It, a lot of books come out of having a very personal why. Yeah, <laughs> and for sure. So for me, really, my journey started many years ago, about 13 years ago or so now, to change my own life. I had struggled my whole life with on and off with depression and just a sense of mediocrity in my life and trying to live up to other people's expectations and just kind of bouncing around like a pinball in an old pinball machine, you know? Uh-huh. And I, I reached a point where I was like, okay, I'm only 30 years old. There is, I can't live the rest of my life like this. There, I, I have to be doing something wrong here. And I've got to figure out what it is. There's got to be a different way to be. And so I really dedicated myself fully to changing my life. And I knew that studying and learning and, and seeing what other people that were successful at happiness were doing um, would help me a lot. And so I dove into that. And and I became very passionate about it. And it took me actually eight years to reach a point where I had a huge transformation. But during that eight years, I learned a ton and I weeded out a lot of stuff that doesn't work because there's so much uh, hyperbole and, and, and junk out there. And I narrowed it down to kind of the really solid stuff that really works. And about eight years into the journey, I had this, this huge realization that changed the direction of my happiness journey so much that I... I rapidly improved my life after that. In, in, and I did it so much that I knew I had to share this shift with everybody. So I started teaching it and blogging about it. And the shift was, I was going through some materials on happiness one day. I think I was reading a book and I, I came across a quote from the Greek philosopher Aristotle that said, happiness is a state of activity. And it nearly knocked me off the couch. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. That, that's, that's so powerful, isn't it? And it's so true. So true. And I had never thought of, that, thought of it that way. Because I, 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 everyone says happiness is a choice. Or, you know, you think of it as a feeling. And yeah, it's great. But it's not just that. It's actually an activity. It's, it's something that we do. And it's a skill that we can learn and practice and become good at. And when I started approaching it that way, my whole being changed. My whole life changed. 
it was like it was like Dorothy coming out of the little cabin into the land of Oz. I mean, everything <laughs> everything was in color and and everything just changed. And I started just shouting it from the rooftops. And the more people I spoke to about it at small events and just through coaching and blogging, and the more people I heard say, "I've never thought of it that way." The more I knew I needed to write this book. And so that was that's sort of the short version of the journey. I shared a longer version in the book, but. I mean, that really was a huge realization, the whole part of the activity and and happiness as a skill. Yeah, you know what I love about that is that it's almost as if before you can choose happiness, you have to have the skill. Yes, right. And, And, you know, we're not really teaching it so much to our kids because we didn't really learn it ourselves. It hasn't really been made a top priority. You know, in school, they teach us writing and and math and, uh, you know, how to do all these sort of technical things that you need for life, but they don't teach our most basic, most required life skill, and that's happiness and emotional health. And so, you know, we go through life without having learned that skill sort of stumbling around until we realize that, oh, I, I never learned this. Wait, maybe I should pause and do something different. Because you would never just pick up a musical instrument that you've never touched before and think that you could sit there and rock it, right? Right. No, <laughs> absolutely. Learn, learn. Absolutely. Right. So, yeah, it's multifaceted. And, but once you dedicate yourself and you practice and you learn, it's like everything changes. It's amazing. And you, you say that you have a three-step plan. Is that, is that where you the first step is to change your view? Well, absolutely. And, and you know, I, when I when I approached the book and when I was really thinking about how to create it, I wanted to create a book that really broke things down simply. So, of course, there's more than three steps, but there's three main steps that have different steps underneath them. Right. But I, but I wanted to simplify everything. And so, yes, the first part of the book is change your view. And that really has everything to do with what we were just talking about, about shifting to see happiness as more than just a choice and more than just a feeling, to actually see it as something that we have to do and participate in and practice and become good at like a skill. Well, I always say that happiness isn't a pursuit, it's a perspective. And that's really what you're talking about here is is having the perspective of love, having the perspective of forgiveness and the perspective of compassion, kindness, and Many more things, I'm sure. Is that correct? Yes. And that's that's all included in there as sort of part of the foundation of the skill of happiness. And once we start to embody those things and and you know, there are there's science behind actually when we practice things long enough, we rewire our brain to vibrate with those things. To, to connect on those levels of happiness and forgiveness and positivity and optimism. And once we reach that point where we're sort of operating that way, that's when huge shift can happen. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, and I always say that um, people have often asked me over the years, how do you prepare for loss? And, you know, and I always say, well, you actually are preparing for loss every day in the way, in the manner in which you live. And, if you, you know, if you want to go through something really traumatic, and I know you acknowledge this in your book, and I love that chapter um, where you acknowledge this, that that you find the light, you have to find the light in the dark. And when you go through yes. something really traumatic, it's, it's, um, you're not happy when you're going through it. That's not, that's not, you're not going to feel happiness when you're going through trauma, but you have moments of happiness. And I always tell people that, the best way to prepare for loss is to practice being happy when your life is going moder- moder- moderately well. 
<laughs> because well, that's really what she'll cool. return to at the end when you go through your process and, you know, and, and at some point you, you accept your loss, you'll return to happiness and joy, but, but to the degree at which you practiced it. That is, that is so true. And, and absolutely. And I, and I also talk about too, that when you practice the skill of happiness in your regular life, like you said, when things are going moderately well and you get, you become good at it, then those skills and things that you turn to, to bring you joy and peace and happiness on a regular basis are going to be there to support you when you're going through a loss, because nobody is immune to grief and loss in life. We're all going to experience it. And so I felt, you know, I said uh, when I was first writing the book, I was like, there has to be a chapter in here on grief and loss and transition because a book on happiness without that is like a car without windshield wipers. Everything's great till it, <laughs> everything's great till it rains. And then what do you do? You know, that um, is so yeah. true. And I love too what you said about in the midst of that grief and loss and transition that we will all experience at some point that you will have moments of joy and happiness in there in the midst of that and and learning to allow yourself those moments and even though you're in grief, you may have a moment of joy where you laugh or something good happens to allow those moments to just fill you and help move you forward is is so key, I think. Yeah, I think that was one of the biggest surprises for me when I was in very deep grief. I mean, even even the deepest part of my grief, I almost found laughter every single day. I mean, you just it's so interesting that you get so awake to the paradox of life when when yes. you're when you're in suffering. And I remember just I would break out into just hysterical laughter at just the you know the simplest things in the same way that I'd break out into um, you know hysterical tears. It was almost exactly the same. It was like I held my joy in one hand and my sorrow in the other, and they both just teeter tottered all the time. And but I think that was one of the biggest um, surprises for me was I just thought, well, surely if you're devastated in your grief, you're just going to be in grief all the time. You're just going to be nothing but sad, but that's not true. No, it's not. And there's actually a great little story that I share in the book that's along those lines that, that I'll share because it's a quick one. But I, I was, I, I know what you mean about being in those deepest times of grief, you know, when you're really going through a loss in your life. And I went through a divorce a few years back and in the early stages of it, when I was in that such dark place of grief and heartbreak that I could barely bring myself to get out of bed. Um, I had developed my happiness skills to the point where I knew that when I was in that dark of a place, I just needed to do one little thing, just one little thing that was good for my body, mind, and spirit. So I, I drugged myself out of bed and went, went down to the street to this little vegan shop to get a green juice because I knew that would not only make me feel better, but it would help my immune system and, and all that. So I went up to the counter and I, I said to the girl, um, do you have anything with kale and, and ginger and spinach? And she said, oh, we do. It's called the learn to let go. <laughs> and I, that's what I did. I started busting up in laughter. And I was laughing almost hysterically. And this poor girl's looking at me like, who is this crazy woman? Um, but really, I laughed at the irony of it. And I just looked up and I said, okay, universe, I got the message. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fabulous. That is, that's a great story you know, really funny. And yeah, moments where you just find that laughter and sometimes even hysterical laughter, but it's so healing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's so healing. And <laughs> I, I love what you said about allowing those moments to carry you forward because, you know, the truth is when you're going through loss and, and grief, you, you absolutely need the break. Like you have to have a break from it. Your psyche needs to have a break from it. 
So the more you can allow yourself just moments of joy, you know, and I think that comes with being really super present to that. Um, you know, a lot of times when we're in deep regret or we're in our heads and we're thinking about things very deeply, we, we can't find that period of that place of joy in ourselves. But when we let go of that and we can be really present and in the present moment, there's always a modicum of joy. I mean, it's pretty amazing, actually. That is amazing. And I love that you say that because, you know, that same idea applies in our everyday life. And like you said earlier, when things are going moderately well, if you want to step it up, just sort of turning inward and becoming more present to the beauty and the joy and the opportunities for adventure that are in front of us on a daily basis is such a great way to up-level you know, our life and, and our happiness. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about a few of these habits. I mean, we want you to pick up the book, um, Operation Happiness, the three-step plan to creating a life of lasting joy, abundant energy, and radical bliss. And you can um, go to christyling.com probably and find a link to Amazon or Barnes & Noble online or wherever, right? Um, but let's talk about some of the, let's talk about some of the habits that you speak on. Um, yeah, absolutely. So there are a number of habits in the book. So what I did, and this was actually a, a real um, fun adventure, is when I was researching and sort of diving in to change my own life, one of the things I did was I thought to myself, well, who are the people that are public people, you know, in the world that seem the happiest to me, that seem to have these joyful, amazing, exciting, abundant lives and that seemed to sort of seek it out on a regular basis. And I really started looking into, you know, who I thought those people were. And then what I did was I looked to see what they all had in common. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, like what were, you know, what were some of the habits or, or mindsets that I noticed that they all had? And there were 11 that really stood out to me. And so I noted them all and I, I drew lines and I was like, yep, they all have this. They all have this. And so they're, they're in the book and they really are powerful and they're not all what you'd think. <laughs> well, so, share, us, share, share with us, we don't have too much time, but share with us a couple of your surprises. Well, one of, the, one of my favorites was that I, I noticed when I was studying this, that happy people are prolific seekers. And what I mean by that is there's a good analogy for this. In the same way that a bee buzzes around seeking pollen from flowers, the happiest people are really resourceful all the time. Just naturally, they've trained themselves to be this way, to seek out the beauty and the joy and adventure and pleasure and growth and meaning in everything in their lives. Well, I would say that to be true of all the happy people that I know, for sure. Yes. Yes. And that's a habit that you can cultivate and develop. And, you know, after you practice it long enough, it'll start to come naturally and you'll be like, wow, where's, where's this new attitude I've got coming from? <laughs> um, but that was really a big one. They, they're prolific seekers. And so, you know, a good way to sort of develop that is to just every day for like, say, month, you know, set a goal to ask yourself, okay, so how am I seeking joy today? How am I seeking adventure? And how am I seeking things that will bring me, bring me pleasure? And then to follow that up with how am I taking action to bring those things closer into my life or into my life more often? Because you have to back up the seeking with the action, right? Right. <laughs> According to Aristotle. <laughs> yeah, I think absolutely. Sean Acor says something similar too. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I love it because it's true. You can't, like I say, well, you can't just choose happiness and expect it to happen because, you know, I chose to be independently wealthy too. But when I checked my bank account the next day, I <laughs> so you actually have to take action and make it happen. Um, and so, you know, actually that's perfect to bring me into the next one that I'll share because one of the other happiness habits that I noticed is that the happiest people prioritize very mindfully. Mm. And so a lot of times, and I was this way for so many years in my life, we just get up and go through the day on autopilot without really setting our intentions and being very mindful about, you know, what are our most important things that we would like to succeed at that day or do for others, or how do we want to serve? We kind of just go into autopilot. But by prioritizing very mindfully and especially putting ourselves and our needs first so that we can show up as our best for everything else in our life, but also prioritizing. And, and putting your energy where your energy is well-deserved. Yeah, I love that. You know, one of the things that I do is I, I have my calendar is not run by myself. I allow my assistant to run my calendar to help me um, keep me from feeling overwhelmed. And so, um, but one of the things I always have her do is I, I don't have her schedule anything before 11 o'clock. Oh, that's so great. Because the morning is just such amazing, creative and soulful time, isn't it? Well, yeah. And we've, we've always said that how you start your day is how you live your day. And so it's, it's really imperative that, you know, you get off to a really peaceful start or, you know, do your gratitude practice. And that really does set the stage of your mindset for the rest of your day. I mean, and if you don't do that, then you're at risk for, you know, having like your day sabotage you. I mean, that's the way I look at it. If I don't practice you know, my, if I don't have my time in the morning um, to exercise and to, you know, meditate and to do the things that um, give me that peaceful, that really be in the flow, peaceful, present mindset through, throughout the day, my day could really literally go haywire. So, and I've learned that over the years that it's just, it's got, it's imperative. It's a necessity. I love that you say that. There's a whole section in my book about how to make over your mornings to be just like yours. <laughs> because, you know, you're right. So many people are getting up to the alarm clock and then rushing through their morning and they're drinking three or four cups of coffee before they even have anything to eat. And, you know, they're rushing into their day stressed out and, and they're said that's the foundation for the day they're going to have. And so I wanted to teach people just what you just said about if you make over your mornings, like just start there, you know, you don't have to change your whole life all at once. Just start those first couple hours a day and make some changes there. And you'll see change throughout your whole day and your whole life. So absolutely, the mornings are, the, the way we live our mornings are the way we live our life. Yeah, I, the, I had that. a hard time selling that one to the moms when I wrote my mom's book, when I said <laughs> <laughs> that they needed to get off to a peaceful start. But, you know, the really happiest moms, they do. And I always did when my kids were growing up. I, I always got up at least an hour, an hour and a half earlier than my, my children, which meant, yeah, I had to go to bed by nine or 10 o'clock at night. Um, and to do that, but it was worth it because when I started my day, especially as busy as it is raising a family that way, it made all the difference to all the drama and, and how it affected me throughout the day and my energy and the kids energy too, by five o'clock. Cause if you're a mom listening, got to remember your kids really mirror your energy. So their mirror neurons are always firing and they are always looking to you. <laughs> 
So if you Absolutely. think if you think your kids are stressed out at five o'clock, you got to go take a look in the mirror and ask yourself, how are you feeling at five o'clock? Because they are probably <laughs> mirroring what you're feeling. <laughs> oh, it's true. And you know what? I think one of the best things we can teach our kids is how important your mornings are to your day. Yeah, absolutely. So by setting that example, and if you have a gratitude practice, maybe doing that with your kids, you know, do that around the breakfast table or whatever that is. And you can have those couple minutes of quality time together. It's such a great thing to do as a family. So, you know, you can do these positive things a lot and incorporate your kids into that. And so, you know, it doesn't have to be separate, but I love that you say you would go to bed earlier to wake up a little bit earlier because you do need that quiet sort of sacred time in the morning for sure. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, Christy, this is just a beautiful book. Congratulations for birthing it, for now promoting it. And you've just brought an amazing manual to your people and to all the people who are listening here and to many thousands, if not millions of people around the globe. So I wish you the best of success. It's a beautiful book. It's very well written. And I know that whoever buys it and reads it will get so much out of it. So I want to just thank you so much for um, being on my podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Live the Big Stuff with New York Times bestselling author, Christine Carlson. Visit christinecarlson.com to receive 30 days of Don't Sweat Wisdom delivered to your inbox. And remember to subscribe to this podcast now to receive Don't Sweat Wisdom from Chris every week.